Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st Century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. As I promised last week, we have returned with another episode of A Different Perspective, and I am truly Kevin Randall. Uh, for those of you who tuned in and expected to hear James Clarkson uh, pontificate on his UFO investigations and the problems with the hierarchy of MUFON, he bailed on us. I don't know why exactly. I thought it was uh, not, not the most professional thing to have done. But I called my friend uh, John Greenwald and asked him if he could help me out, and he graciously offered to uh, fill in, and we could talk about the Black Bolt and some of the things that he's been doing since we had him on the program once before. I try not to um, bring the guests back too often or too close together. I made an exception with Charles Halt because I was a little bit annoyed with the way he um, was talking about Larry Warren. And I've always, as, as a military officer, I was trained in the beginning that what we do is we take care of the enlisted people first, then we take care of ourselves. We take care of the soldiers first. And if you go back to the old cavalry, it was take care of your horse first, then take care of the soldiers, then take care of yourself. And I thought that um, some of the things that Charles Halt was saying were unintentionally or uh, intentionally harsh, um, unnecessarily harsh, I guess is what I was trying to say. And so uh, 
I don't I don't bring people back too often, but I wanted to explore some of that stuff with uh, Colonel Hall. And uh, there are things going on in the UFO field that uh, John is the expert in and can help us out. Not too long ago, there was a story that came out and circulated through the uh, UFO community about a document or a manual that had been created, and it mentioned UFOs in it. And it was as if this manual had just been published or the man who was talking about it just found it. And I thought uh, John would be able to help us out and understand that and maybe we could discuss that. And some of the other official mentions of UFOs that appeared in manuals and regulations and that sort of, that sort of thing. You know, as, as you all know, he is best known as the creator of the Black Vault, which is the website that houses literally thousands on thousands of UFO-related documents that he's obtained through his FOIA requests uh, in a, to a variety of government agencies. And he has been a master of ceremonies at many UFO conferences and symposiums. He's one of the leaders of the UFO community. He's been on countless TV programs. He produces TV programs. He's uh, uh, immersed in the UFO phenomenon. So I thought, well, we'll chat with him because we'll probably learn something that way. John Greenwald, welcome to A Different Perspective. I appreciate that. It's good to be back. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's been too long, actually, and I thought if I schmoozed with you, you'd invite me on one of your uh, TV programs or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, no, you are always welcome when I'm doing UFO programs. I haven't done one in a little while, uh, so uh, but next time you, you're definitely invited. Oh well, thank you very much. Well, now that uh, you've paid for your uh, uh, seat here at the table, <laughs> we'll move on. Um, we were talking briefly. I, I just talked briefly about this uh, report that came out last week or the week before about somebody who had found a uh, document that mentioned UFOs, and I noticed that your response to it was to explain what had been involved in the Black Vault. And I've got like, you know, a minute and a half left before we have to take our first break. Can you give me a, a brief rundown of what that was all about? Yeah, well, the brief rundown is I saw a headline about a Department of Defense document uh, that had specifically talked about unidentified flying objects. And specifically, this was a manual about uh, visual information, documentation that's not necessarily text, but more visual, and how to, to, to handle certain types of records. And in there was unidentified flying objects. I've done a lot of research on this particular angle. Um, I was aware of the document, but it was kind of being touted as, as new. So I kind of threw uh, some, some information out there that it's been around for a while, but also maybe not as new as uh, it was being led off to be. Well, as you told me um, earlier, it's available on the Black Vault, so you can take a look at it yourself. And we will explore that here in just a, a few minutes when we come back from this commercial break. Uh, John's website is www.theblackvault, all one word, theblackvault.com. And you can look at all these documents that he secured through his FOIA request and everything that you would like to, to know about UFOs. And they come from the FBI, the CIA, the Air Force, uh, anybody who's I guess, produced a document that deals with UFOs. John's managed to track it down and, and puts it on his uh, website. And I'll have more information about this at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com when we come back right after this.
This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Hello, I'm Pete Marsh. With my daughter Justina, we will be presenting the new radio show, Too Good to Be True. If something seems too good to be true, it usually is. But with the help of Justina's amazing gifts, we're going to gain insight into questions that don't yet have complete answers. Have you wondered who built Stonehenge and for what reason? Why are crop circles found in the same region as Stonehenge and elsewhere? Are crop circles a hoax or are they created with technologies that we have little knowledge of? Who built the pyramids in Egypt and also in other countries? How and why were they built? Was the Titanic switched with the Britannic as part of a gigantic insurance fraud or for more insidious reasons? What caused the Tunguska event when trees were flattened over an 800 square mile area in Siberia? Will the new insights be too good to be true? Well, that will depend on what you are prepared to believe. Please join us as we start on this journey together. For more information on Too Good To Be True, visit www.xzbn.net. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs, 
songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an eight-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. And you all probably thought I was kidding when I said we would come back, but here we are once again. I'm joined by my friend uh, John Greenwald, he of the Black Vault. We're going to be talking about uh, that and government publications and UFOs. And when we went away, um, we were talking about this document that had surfaced in the last couple of weeks. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. I have sleep apnea, and I used to struggle with CPAP. Until recently, I hadn't had a good night's sleep since 2005. Do you even remember 2005? We used cell phones like actual phones. You had to call a cab with your voice. Sexy. We got our movies in the mail and podcasts on the radio. Now that's interesting. And everyone was getting serious about life hacks, like how to stop procrastinating or how to get mustard stains out of your clothes. Here's a seriously life-changing life hack for anyone who struggles with CPAP. Get Inspire. It's a sleep apnea treatment that works inside your body at the click of a remote. That's right, a button. There's no mask and no hose, just sleep. Learn more on the information superhighway at inspiresleep.com. That's inspiresleep.com. Then put the bad old days of CPAP struggle behind you. Inspire, sleep apnea innovation. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at inspiresleep.com. John was giving us a little bit uh, of information about it. I, I looked at the document and it seemed that the UFO reference wasn't very complex or very long is did i miss something no it wasn't and in fairness a lot of times it's not you know it, it's uh if you see a ufo or take a photo of it in this particular case uh this is what you do and when i saw this headline uh, like i had mentioned before the break you know i was i was fairly intrigued by it until i realized exactly you know what it was and and um and, I, and again, I, I think that there was a, a piece of the puzzle missing. Now, uh, to, to kind of drill in a little bit deeper, this, this particular manual was a DOD manual uh, that was from 2001, 2002. The one that was actually written about, uh, it had mentioned the 2001 version. John, let me ask you a question right here. What's the name of the manual? Sure. I mean, if people want to go to the Black Vault and look it up, I mean, what do they type in? 
Sure. Yeah. Well, you can do it two ways. The page that outlines all of what we're probably going to be talking about here is titled UFO Reporting Procedures and Regulations. Uh, and on that specifically, you'll see a, a DOD manual numbered 5040.6. And if you put just that number into the search engine, it'll pop up the page for you. But uh, 5040.6-Amazon uh, Mary dash one is the one uh, that was kind of creating some headlines here uh, recently. Okay, so, so you were gonna you were gonna dive a little deeper into this, and and you learned a little bit more about what was being reported here in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and and that specific document uh, essentially it's just very short, like you said, it was a chapter. Uh, talking about visual images and imagery and what type of uh, visual information that the DOD might collect. And interestingly, and this is a very interesting point uh, to be made, is that one of the sections uh, in this Chapter 5 was titled Unidentified Flying Object or UFO and Other Aerial Phenomena Imagery. Now, to the military, what does that mean? Uh, and and as we all know, the, the government and the military did their investigation from 1947 to 1969. It's a rather dull history, but it's a very important one when they investigated over 12,000 sightings and uh, essentially concluded that there was nothing to the UFO phenomena. And the government and military loves to tell us that after 1969, they didn't care about UFOs. Uh, if you really felt it was an emergency, go to your local law enforcement. But they, they did their due diligence and there was nothing to it. So it is very important that in 2002, this DOD manual had this UFO reference and specifically, you know, this um, this identification of aerial phenomena. So again, the question mark is, what is that? So uh, over the years, I've lectured quite a bit about these types of manuals and, and kind of kept digging. And uh, this manual was essentially then rewritten in 2005. Uh, like the first manual was Dash 1, it had the same designation number, but it was Dash 2. And UFOs kind of disappeared in 2005. Now, I won't get into it yet, but I'm sure we will here uh, shortly. Uh, the government does have a knack of kind of covering up these uh, pieces of evidence where it is proven that they have an interest in UFOs. So again, referencing that Project Blue Book era, that uh, 22 or so year history of 12,000 plus sightings back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, uh, that wasn't the end. They want us to think it is. Uh, and they want us to think it was, but it, it really isn't. And I, and they do have this knack of kind of covering things up. So now the big question is this. Um, yes, it was taken out in 2005, but the big question is why? Is there now no interest in 2005, but there was 2002, which proved some kind of lie in 1969? Or was it kind of started to be talked about? You know, like I said, I... Uh, worked some of these manuals into some of the shows I had worked on both behind the scenes and even on camera on some television shows to kind of pr to prove, hey, there is this interest in UFOs, and, and rightfully so, there should be. And the, But the government is so adamant about saying, hey, no, we don't have interest, and yet here it was in black and white. So that question remains, why in 2005 did they take it out? Was it the attention, or was there really no interest in it, but this time was the real time that they lost interest. Um, I don't have the answer to it, uh, but it, it is an important question. Well, this brings a number of questions to my mind, of course, and um, I don't know how much you might know about this, but we know that there was a Project Moondust 
And moon dust yeah. had a had a UFO requirement to it. It was moon dust was to recover returning space debris of foreign manufacturer unknown origin, unknown origin, of course could be extraterrestrial. And going through the Project Blue Book files, it was something that I'd seen nobody ever mention as I was putting together a book called uh, The Government UFO Files, and I was scanning for a specific case in the Project Blue Book files, and I noticed a couple of cards said moon dust on them in September of 1960. So there was a UFO component. They did coordinate with the Air Force for part of moon dust. And as far as I know, moon dust still existed in 1985. It when the name was changed, and according to what Robert Todd had said at the time, Robert Todd being a guy who foiled a lot of stuff about about this, and I think he was the first one to mention moon dust in any capacity, and he uh, had asked about that, and he was told that the name had been changed and it was properly classified. It was so that mm-hmm. they couldn't tell him what it was. Do you have any information on moon dust beyond those sorts of things? Yeah, I do. That was a really intriguing, you know, topic for me early on in, in my research, gosh, going back, you know, 15, 20 years now. Um, and you probably know a lot more about this than I do, because I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, you literally wrote the book on it. But uh, yeah, I, I started filing FOIA requests to try and discover, you know, what moon dust files there were. And I discovered only about 25 pages or so from the Department of State that had never been released before, never found, and got those declassified. Uh, in my personal opinion, and, and again, you may differ from me, I think the reason why moon dust was so heavily classified is the fact that it started touching on, you know, g- getting that advanced foreign technology, not necessarily alien, but, you know, if, if the Soviets launched some kind of piece of, high, uh, you know, highly advanced t- piece of technology, and it ended up crashing, and we have no idea what the, that this is, the moon dust essentially went out, collected it, and yeah, that would be classified. I mean, it, it, there's a very famous case with Project Jennifer and, uh, and the Glomar Explorer going out when a, a Russian submarine went down, and uh, essentially they covered this whole thing up. It was highly classified at the time, and, and even still is. But they made this in, entire cover story on why we were going out there to salvage uh, you know, this particular ship. Um, and I think that, that that kind of goes into the legend and lore behind moon dust is I, I feel that it's a little bit less about UFOs in relation to possible alien spacecraft, more so uh, I think it was more about foreign technology. I know that that's kind of the public line, uh, but I think a lot of documentation supports that. Not to say, though, that there weren't other facets of these projects that were going on at the same time that you know we might not even have learned yet. Um, so yeah, moon dust is a big interest, and it does seem like there's still a lot of secrecy behind it. But I think it might be explainable. Well, I, I agree with you that, that probably the main focus of moon dust was to recover, and I will say, returning space debris of foreign manufacture because that would include the Chinese, it would include the Japanese, it would include mm-hmm. anybody who's attempting um, space exploration. But what I find interesting is that when the United States Senate one of the senators, I think Jeff Bingham from New Mexico, had queried the Air Force about Project Moondust. He was told no such project ever existed. And when he was mm-hmm. shown, and when when Bingham showed them documentation that had Moondust on it, and and at this point nobody had found the Project uh, Blue Book files that said Moondust on them, they said, well, we'd like to amend our last statement and say, well, yes, Moondust existed, but we never used it. And I know of at least a half a dozen to a dozen instances where Moondust personnel were deployed to recover what might be 
well, with some kind of space debris, whether it was alien extraterrestrial or, or, or a, a terrestrial manufacturer, they were deployed. So the, the moon dust was used. So when you say that the, I guess the major focus of it would have been recovering terrestrially uh, manufactured debris or uh, material that, that returned to Earth, that that would be, yes, that would be correct. But there was that component and they did do UFOs and there were a number of documents that I got through the State Department that uh, were newspaper clippings from from foreign countries uh, mentioning UFOs and that sort of thing. So there was an interest in keeping the UFO information flowing, but the main focus of Moon Dust was something else. Yeah, and, and I'm not even going to argue that. I mean, there is a lot of secrecy behind that project and uh, a lot of still unanswered questions. So, you know, no, no argument from me on whether or not uh, they were doing the UFO aspect. I think that that's, that's easily proven as well. Do you have moon dust documents at the Black Vault? I do, yeah. I've got a page on there. I've got some Department of State stuff uh, that was declassified in 2007. Um, as far as I know, that, that specific material had not been released before. Uh, there's a declassification um, uh, stamp on it about the review for 2007. So that's why I was led to believe that that stuff is new. Um, so, yeah, that, that's there. If you use the search engine as the easiest way, just type in, you know, Project Moon Dust and you'll, you'll come up with that page as well. Well, that leads to another question, which is simply this. In 1985, when Bob Todd got the Moon Dust stuff, um, and then was asking about it, and they were told that the name had been changed and been classified. So Moondust was no longer the name. But you have documentation from 2005. Does it talk about Moondust? Does it mention Moondust specifically? Well, declassified de in 2005. Let me, uh, okay. let me just kind of – yeah, so no – excuse me, declassified in 2007. Um, let me see when these document documents are dated – Put me on the spot there. Now these are from the documents from the seventies. It looks like okay, okay. So, but uh, but declassified in two thousand seven. Well, when I when I FOIA'd them and got, uh, they sent microfish to me, mm -hmm. and uh, I think they had sent me eleven, and others who had done this before me. And I, you know, I point to Robert Todd. I point to Cliff Stone. Uh, Stone doing a lot of FOIA stuff as well, but uh, they got more documents than I did. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting that they began limiting the number of documents they sent out in their moon dust packages as, as I, I got there. But but as I say, when I went through them, it was clear that there was um, an interest in, in UFOs and it was a continuing interest in UFOs, even though the Air Force had said, we don't investigate it. There seemed to be no governmental interest in it, although I think there's CIA, CIA documents that suggest otherwise. And of course, the Roswell investigation in the mid-90s suggested an interest in UFOs as well, as they went through all of that stuff. But uh, I thought the moon dust stuff was particularly interesting simply because the we're going family style deal because i want a bite of your big mac and i need some of your quarter pounds. i'll try your filet of fish there's a deal for every friend group at mcdonald's order any two classics for just six bucks price of participation may vary single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer geico asks how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance of course you would and when it comes to great rates on insurance geico can help 
like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. I'm... The lies that had been told about it prior to their admissions that, yeah, we, we don't have a project named Moondust. Well, we do have a project. We never used it. Well, yeah, we used it type, type sort of thing. Yeah. And some of that yeah, stuff and, that, and you – go ahead, please. Sorry. No, I was just going to say you bring up a very interesting point that I think uh, the public at large doesn't uh, necessarily realize at first glance uh, because the majority of the public doesn't use the FOIA. And when you use the FOIA uh, for individuals like yourself and myself – when you brought up the fact that we kind of got different responses and different numbers of pages, uh, that is becoming more and more common. And not only with UFO stuff, but, but other topics as well. I mean, I FOIA, you know, quite a few different uh, angles on government secrets, uh, UFOs well, being just this. a very let's, small percentage. But Let's yeah. do this. When we come back after this break that's coming up rapidly here, we'll get a little bit more into the differences in the amount of documentation received by various people and questions that are asked, asked and the way they kind of dodge some of this stuff, uh, which we know they're doing. So when we come back, we'll talk about all of that sort of thing. Remember, you can learn more about this, as I say repeatedly, at uh, www.theblackvault.com, which is John uh, Greenwald's uh, site and more at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and we'll learn more about this when we come back so stick around dreams are our personal gateways into infinite wisdom don't miss Shamanic Counselor and Indigenously Trained Dream Decoder, Sandra Corcoran's inspiring book, Shamanic Awakening Between the Dark and the Daylight. This remarkable work chronicles Sandra's 35 years of experience with diverse wisdom keepers and her initiations throughout the Americas and across the British Isles, Turkey, Greece, and Egypt. Sandy's knowledge of symbology, psychology, and myth influenced her dream blog and workshops. Sandy offers private tarot readings, international journeys, a meditative CD, as well as her book, Shamanic Awakening, to encourage you as you navigate this earthwalk, creating a deeper connection to yourself and all that is. Find this and more at Sandy's website, StarwalkerVisions.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. 
Nemology science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Hello, I'm Justina Marsh, and with my dad, Pete, we are going to present a new show called Too Good to Be True. Together, we are aiming to discover more truths about this world and beyond. Do you have unanswered questions about the world? Do you ever wonder about aliens, conspiracy theories, or the universe? There are many shows discussing subjects such as pyramids or UFOs, but we want to relay this information based on our own research, including from spiritual means. Hopefully, listeners will be helped with their own beliefs and will appreciate the psychic insights that add to the previous research and information. We both look forward to sharing this insight and beginning this journey with our listeners. Visit xzbn.net for more information about when to listen. I did promise we'd be back with John Greenwald, and we are back with John Greenwald, and his site is www.theblackvault.com, and if you want to listen to other programs on the X-Zone Network, you can look at xzbn.net, and there's a whole list of the programs there and what the topics of the programs are, and you can take a listen to that as well when you get a chance. When we went away, I had brought up the point that uh, when I had of the stuff on moon dust i got a different number of documents from uh, the state department actually is where we went for that and john you were saying that's something that's becoming more and more common in the the world of foia the freedom of information act requests yeah where you know requesters might go after the same thing and they get varying results now that may not seem like a big deal to some but it actually is. I mean, by the letter of the law, they need to re- uh, respond uh, to our requests. And if the requests are fairly identical, meaning we're requesting the same information, uh, the responses should be the same if they're following that letter of the law. I mean, that's what the FOIA states. Uh, for one example, uh, you know, a friend of mine who has uh, filed quite a few FOIA requests uh, filed a, um, a FOIA to the FBI on the Church of Scientology. Now, I didn't know this. I did the same exact thing, posted uh, quite a few documents online, and was under the impression that I had everything. And then I learned that there were actually thousands of more pages that he was told about, and our requests were nearly identical. So he was coming up with thousands of more pages than I was, and in other cases, with other individuals, we were going after FBI files, and uh, we share notes, you know, periodically. And sure enough, you know, one of my requests, there was about a thousand or two thousand page difference. 
same deal, same exact topic, similar worded request. There was kind of no rhyme or reason why they would come up with different uh, page counts. So my whole point with this is that there is a lack of continuity on how the government processes FOIA requests. And that is a big problem to investigators because when we do this, we're looking for answers. We're looking for the truth. Some of us are reporters. Some of us are archivists. Um, I've been called worse than both of those titles. So, you know, it depends <laughs> on what our angle is. But, uh, you know, we're, we, have, we have a reason why we're requesting this. And when we're getting those varying results, it's very problematic uh, when we're trying to make sense of all of this. Now, tying it back to the UFO thing, same deal. I mean, out of every government secret I've ever tackled, and I, I mean, I can bore you to death for uh, days and days on end about all of them, UFOs remains the number one most complicated, most convoluted, and the most difficult to research. And when you uh, have these varying results where my request is, differs from your request, which differs from whomever's, uh, that's very, very tough when we're trying to unravel this mystery, and it's a big challenge. Well, I know uh, back after the great Air Force Roswell investigation, I had been interested in what the Secretary of Air Force Office had done. They had uh, Colonel Richard Weaver, and I've been trying to get him on the program. We haven't been able to make connections so we can do it at the same time. He's traveling a lot. But I had wanted to get the minutes of meetings, the notes from those meetings, the directions that the Secretary of the Air Force had given to Richard Weaver and uh, James McAndrew, uh, any documents related to that. And the response to my FOIA request was to say all that had been delivered to the government accounting, or the, the government printing office. Well, I knew that wasn't true. Uh -huh. What they sent there was do, you know, the document to be printed. But to follow the form, I went to the government uh, printing office, and all they sent me back was a price list of what everything cost to get the, the, these specific documents. And I went back to the Secretary of the Air Force, and they said, well, we moved all that stuff to Maxwell Air Force Base, which was the Air Force Archives. So I wrote to Maxwell Air Force mm -hmm. Base, and they said, no, we don't have it. We sent it to the National Archives. Wrote to the National Archives, and they said, no, <laughs> we don't have it yet. It hasn't gotten there yet. Went back to Maxwell Air Force Base, and said, yeah, we sent it to them. Went back to the National Archives, and they said, oh, yeah, we got it. We just haven't sorted it yet. Be patient. Uh, I finally mm -hmm. got a list of the stuff. Uh, it was 11 pages of the documentation. I had an opportunity to go th go through it at the National Archives. And it was like nine boxes. And in it was a court-martial, uh, the Roswell material, a court-martial of a uh, doctor who had been stationed at Roswell in 1957. He was carrying on an affair with a nurse while his wife was in a mental institution. They weren't very clever about it because one weekend they would drive to El Paso in his car and stay at a motel, and the next weekend they'd drive in her car and stay in the same motel so that they could trace the cars, and they found three what they called pornographic pictures when they searched his quarters, and by day's standards, they were really silly. The pictures were in there. And the one thing that I noticed was they, the woman was wearing high-heeled shoes, and that was all she was wearing. I thought, well, that was pretty silly. But, the, <laughs> but the, it had nothing to do with the Roswell investigation. It just came up because the guy had been stationed in Roswell. But the, okay. the, the documentation had nothing that I wanted in it. It didn't tell me anything that I wanted to know. And then talking to Weaver about this later, I got more information about what was going on. But the, you know, the point is the FOIA request, they just, they just, I think they also just jerk you around because they're required by law to answer you with, it used to be 10 working days, and usually it was a postcard that says, we've got your request, so they've now answered your request. And then four or five years later, something would appear in the mail that was responsive to your request. 
And I don't know if that's a, I, I don't know if you've experienced that sort of run around as, as well, or if you, you've noticed oh, that the FOIA, yeah. <laughs> or the FOIA yeah, requests I, are not, they don't answer them quite as quickly as they used to, or as, as completely well, as they used to. The, you know, the 21st century is an amazing time we live in, but it also is fairly problematic to a very understaffed FOIA working world. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Meaning... You know, these FOIA offices don't have 100 people in it working full time. Some of them have two or three or, or four people. And, uh, you know, they're getting inundated uh, with FOIA requests. Now, that's a good thing and a bad thing. You know, I'm, I'm a big advocate for the FOIA, and I, I believe that it works. And, you know, I want people to use it. But in the same respect, when people use it, it slows it down. So I think that that's what we're all experiencing, you know, in the last 20 years of, of doing this. Uh, I've filed seven over 7,000 uh, FOIA requests to pretty much every agency you could ever imagine. Now, that's not just on UFOs. That's on all sorts of different government secrets, as I've mentioned. But, um, you know, I'm, a, I'm an advocate for, for learning the real history. And, yes, you're right. You do get the runaround. You have to learn how to play the game uh, when you don't know the rules to the game. And the other side is uh, uh, not only have written all the rules – they're also the referee and you can't talk during the game, you know, and so you kind of have to figure out how to play and make sense of it all. And, and, you know, five years to wait for a FOIA document to come. I mean, that's, that's not so bad. I mean, I've, I've, my, my record is about 14 and a half, 15 years. I've only been doing this for 20. And so, you know, to wait uh, a decade and a half for a document to come, uh, that's, you know, ridiculous. It, it, it genuinely is ridiculous. There's no reason anything should, should take that long. And yet I waited, you know, a decade and a half. Um, so yeah, you, you got to learn to play the game and, and it's sometimes very challenging when you're trying to, uh, research something and you ask a question, uh, well, excuse me, they, they won't answer questions. You'll request a document. You're, you're seeking an answer to a question. And it takes a year or two years or five years or ten years to get a response. Uh, it makes it near impossible sometimes to to do this, and uh, it's it's rewarding at the end. But you know, as I get older and older, I'm wondering maybe I'm dead by the time I get an answer to this FOIA when I'm filing them. You know, when I started when I was a teenager, waiting wasn't so bad. Now I'm a little bit older. So when I file something, I'm going, hmm, maybe my son will just take this one over later on. <laughs> and that's how long it's getting. Well, I know I filed a FOIA request, and I gave them the name of the document, the author of the document, the date it was published, and who published it. And uh, the response I got back from them was, we need more specific information. And I'm thinking, what yeah. more could I have included? The number of pages in the document? I, I may have included that. You know, the, the type style that they used, the color of the cover, what more information do you want? You've got the date, you've got the title, you've got the author. What more can you possibly need to fulfill this request? And uh, I never I never did get a hold of the document. And then 
it related only tangentially to UFOs because it was um, I was looking for information about rocket launches out of White Sands in a specific time frame to see if I could pin something down, and that was you know that was kind of the end of it. But uh, by the same token, in White Sands, they other if I got it to the right person, it was very responsive uh, to it. So you know, it also kind of Christie spots and uh, the mood they're in that day. Yeah, and I think one of the other big problems, at least that I've been experiencing, is the fact that they're getting lost in their or their, their own form letters. And what I mean by that is, you know, they have these copy and paste responses to to try and speed things up a little bit, and that's fine. But sadly, I think that it's becoming very, you know, problematic. And and I, and again, I've got quite a few examples, but one specifically is. You know, with the FBI, uh, it, they wanted same deal. They wanted more specifics on uh, one of the requests that I was doing, and I gave them all the specifics needed. I gave them a time frame. I gave them the name of the organization. I gave them the corporate address to let them, you know, round it down to the field office uh, that might have documentation. I mean, you, you outline everything, and yet their form letter gave like you know five or six uh, reasons on why maybe your request was being rejected, but it didn't tell you what you were not, you know, doing correct. And you just had to guess it. And I went all the way through the appeal process to try and fight with them because when I would try and clarify and say, you know, Hey, what is wrong with this? Uh, they send me the same exact form letter and it's almost comical sometimes because you don't just get that in a day or two. I mean, you sometimes wait six months and when you're trying to do this, you know, you just get bogged down with waiting and waiting and waiting. And, you know, it's it's challenging. It it really is. And so I, I think that it's coming back to bite them because they're trying to make it better. But sadly, it's just creating more problems than it is solutions. Well, we kind of got off track here um, in discussing FOIA because you made an interesting, interesting comment a little bit earlier when you talked about um, – that it seems that the the Air Force or the government is a, is attempting to cover up their interest in UFOs, and that, that's when I brought up a moon dust as well. But you had mentioned uh, when we talked earlier uh, about mm-hmm. the Air Force Academy had a chapter in one of their their books uh, that headed out to the the cadets that uh, mentioned UFOs and the discussion of UFOs. And I think you said that you had a co- I, well, maybe you didn't uh, say you had a copy on your on your uh, website. But I thought, you know, that might be an interesting thing to explore what exactly that was about. But I noticed that I'm getting, again, close to the time when I've got to take a break here. So we'll we'll discuss that, I guess, a little bit when we come back, give you, give you a chance here to take a look at maybe some of your documentation and that sort of thing. But as I say, you know, if you have questions about uh, some of the UFO phenomenon, some things that have gone on or specific cases and that sort of thing, uh, the website to take a look at first is probably www.theblackvault.com. I mean, as John said, he's been collecting this stuff since he was a teenager. He's got it on a website that's very simple to use and gives you an awful lot of information about what is happening. And as I say, all the time, you can take a look at more information at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. I try to get something up there 
after each program that maybe leads you to another place to take a look at some of the information or, or uh, hint at places that you can look for additional information about the topics that we kind of discussed on the program. And one of the things that I always try to mention, even though it may not fit into the conversation, of course, is Roswell in the 21st Century, which is my book, which takes a cold case look at the Roswell case and all the information that's been developed since uh, the beginning of time, so to speak, in the, in the Roswell case from 1947 and after Jesse Marcel kind of broke the case open by talking about it in 1978. So we will be back right after that, th right after this with uh, John Greenwald. We'll talk about the Air Force Academy and some other stuff. So stick around. Are you curious? Do you want to learn more about how the world works and have fun at the same time? Study coincidences with me, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, on my Connecting with Coincidence radio show here on the XZBN network. Listen to Jungians theorize, statisticians randomize, true believers evangelize, while I categorize. I dance to the rhythm of coincidences. People who experience me see more of them. Maybe something on the show matches a thought in your mind. Let us know. Expand your mind to the weirdness happening around you. Synchronicity spoken here, there, and everywhere. For more information, put Connecting with Coincidence in your search engine and find my website, my social media sites, and my blog. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. True healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. 
Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. There's a legend shared by many indigenous cultures of a time when the nations were cast to the four corners of the world. Each nation was given a body of sacred knowledge that held a different portion of the truth to preserve. True reality could not be known until all the nations reunited, combining the information. If a single one was missing, the world could not be reborn and darkness would prevail. The Science of Magic Radio is dedicated to reuniting the sacred knowledge. With the understanding, none of us has all the answers, but together we can open new perceptions and possibilities. Through our combined vision, the world can be reborn into a place where darkness no longer prevails. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the Science of Magic daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, or visit us at thescienceofmagic.net. That's right, we're back, as I promised before we went away. And before we went away, I promised we would talk about an Air Force Academy uh, document, a book, textbook or something, that had a chapter on UFOs or a segment on UFOs that they were using in, I think, the 1970s, after, after the Air Force actually bailed out of the UFO investigating business. And John, you know uh, some things about this manual, so let us, let us all in on it. Well, a little bit, yeah. I mean, this this was a book uh, about space science that was used uh, at the United States Air Force Academy, and uh, this was volume two of a book that was written. Uh, I can't find the exact date. It's somewhere around 67, 68, I believe. Now, this is kind of ties into the beginning of the show because, yes, it, there was a chapter on UFOs, uh, and it's interesting because this U.S. Air Force uh, textbook uh, used at the academy completely contradicted what the conclusion was of Project Blue Book uh, around the same time frame, the late 60s, which was, we did a study on UFOs, there is nothing to it, let's not continue it. And yet this Air Force Academy book uh, talked about the benefits of continuing uh, the investigation of UFO sightings. So again, it was kind of that uh, complete contradictory uh, textbook to what the public line was about the UFO phenomena. Uh, it was rewritten, and again, this is where it kind of ties back into the beginning of the show, where uh, it was rewritten uh, shortly after Blue Book was canceled. Uh, te- Blue Book was technically canceled in January of 1970, but the writing was on the wall in, in late uh, 1969, and uh, and they kind of closed the book. Uh, pardon the pun. And so this this Air Force Academy uh, textbook was was later rewritten, and the chapter of UFOs came out. And again, that just kind of leads to the question of why. I mean, the, the, this was obviously uh, obviously written uh, after decades of investigating uh, the UFO phenomena, and yet at that time in the late '60s, uh, the authors felt the need that there was an importance to the investigation of UFO sightings. Now, fast forward uh, to you know present day, and and in the last 15 years when that very agency, the United States Air Force, says, hey, we have no interest, uh, had these manuals on the book. Now, we've only mentioned the Department of Defense manual, 
but I, I think I would uh, regret not bringing up an, an actual Air Force manual that I discovered quite a few years ago. Uh, specifically, this was Air Force Manual 10-206, and this as well uh, outlined unidentified flying objects and how to report them and where to report them. Now, I'll fast-track the story because I know you're running out of time. Uh, but the short of it is is that I've discovered where the reports were possibly being sent to, which was the NORAD installation. It kind of made sense. This was obviously a place that was looking at what was in space and what could potentially harm us. So if these UFOs were alien-related, you know, that's where they would be sent to. They told me there were no records there, even though they were not subject to the Freedom of Information Act. How convenient. And the reason was is they were under control of Canada and the U.S., so therefore U.S. law didn't apply. And I actually went through Canada's government and found uh, that there were pages there on the UFO phenomena that were filed uh, through these types of regulations. Uh, and NORAD lied. They boldface lied about this. Um, now, when I got mainstream media attention to it, namely uh, Lee Spiegel at the Huffington Post, he did his due diligence as a reporter and called the Pentagon just to make sure that I wasn't giving him a line, even though I showed him how to download this manual from the Air Force. And after not getting a response, uh, you know, Mr. Spiegel had a, a deadline and uh, on a Friday night called me and said that the manual that I had pointed him to, not only did I have a copy, but pointed him to the Air Force, it was uh, rewritten. Now, at first, I didn't believe it. But I went online and actually realized that after 48 hours uh, beyond his phone call, his initial uh, phone call to them trying to get an answer, the United States Air Force completely rewrote this Air Force manual, 10-206, took out the entire chapter on UFOs, and now it was something unrelated. They later got back to him and said that all of that was just a coincidence. And yet I'm able to prove with documentation that they actually updated that manual quite a few times over the years in 2008, 2010, 2011, and never did they feel the need to take UFOs out. I start lecturing about it, put it into a couple History Channel shows. The Huffington Post was going to put a spotlight on it, and within 48 hours, they erased the whole thing. And so that, that really makes you wonder, you know, what, what, how much of a coincidence is this really? And and I and I and I think that I think that they purposely rewrote this. I think that this was a cover up, because finally then people were asking questions. This was the attention that that manual needed. Um, and this is another show entirely. But there should be an interest in UFOs for my safety, for your safety, for everybody who's listening safety. There should be an interest in this, alien or not. I think it's provable with documentation that it is a threat. And we do not have answers yet. All right? nobody, can, nobody can take that away from us as UFO investigators. If we wanted to say it's alien, sure, you can, you can fight that. But nobody can take away from the fact that this is a threat because we don't know what it is. And these manuals should remain on the books. And that's why I get so passionate about it because uh, it's like when they finally get some type of publicity, they vanish, literally vanish and get rewritten. And I well, think when you that were, anybody who's listening needs to ask those questions on why. When you were talking about the Air Force Academy manual, you said it was a physics manual. And it mm -hmm. struck, struck me that there would be uh, a physics aspect to this, 
if you start if, if, if you assume let's just assume that many UFO settings are ball lightning that would be a question that physics could answer and and it, mm-hmm. inf- information about ball lightning might be valuable information to to pursue it's not alien but it's a natural phenomenon that it might be might be of interest to learn something more about so it strikes me that that a, a, an object a, or a chapter on UFOs that dealt with it in that kind of a context wouldn't be out of place even though you're referring to it as UFOs because it is a well, I guess an ambiguous stimuli that you could call a UFO. Yeah, and it and it's not out of place. And and again, that's what keeps my interest and gets me so passionate about it, is because on the contrary, the government is so adamant about not, about stating that they don't have an interest in it. Yet documentation proves otherwise. That keeps me on the mindset that there is a cover up going on. A cover up of what? I don't know yet. I really honestly don't. But it keeps me going to the fact that this is a danger to us. This is an unknown. Uh, this is something that the most powerful military in the entire world cannot answer. They want to tell you they can, right? And they say they have no interest because they have all the answers. And yet when you look at the documentations and use common sense, which a lot of people don't use nowadays, when you use common sense and look at the real evidence, this isn't leaked stuff. This isn't documentation that I, that I tell you is real, but there's no way you can verify it. Anybody can verify this. When you look at it, you can say beyond any shadow of a doubt the UFO phenomena is real, and there's a level of cover-up going on to this day. What are they covering up, though? I don't have the answer to that, but it's what keeps me going, that I think that there is something to this, and it scares me that they don't uh, want to tell us that they have an interest in it. Because I don't know what that means. I want to know. Why, why are they so adamant about it? And yet evidence proves the opposite. I know when the Condon Committee was formed, that was the University of Colorado study in 1966, 1967, that um, there was communication between the University of Colorado and the Air Force. And one of the things they, the Air Force required was that uh, the Condon Committee say something nice about the Air Force investigation that it had nothing to do with national security and that they should conclude the study because nothing of scientific value would be learned. You're suggesting something of scientific value could be learned even if it doesn't relate to alien visitation. Absolutely. I I think that that's a given. Let's just discount 95, arguably 98, even I'll give you 99% of the sightings that get reported probably are easily explained with modern day science, right? Just take 1% of those numbers, I guarantee that you are going to learn something, whether it be about our atmosphere, whether it be about earth science, whether it be about alien life, whether it be about the cosmos, fill in the blank, it doesn't matter. I guarantee that a further scientific, true scientific study of this would yield some kind of positive result. And, and, and yet, you know, the, the topic is largely laughed at. And I think that, that we need to kind of combine uh, the use of common sense and combine uh, the, the real tactics of trying to get real evidence. Um, you know, the, the, this is, again, a show in itself. The 21st century makes it very difficult to get this topic taken seriously, just with the amount of hoaxes and, you know, I call it the hunt for virality. Everybody's looking for that next viral video, you know, whether they hoax something uh, purposely or give something the spotlight just because their website might get some clicks. That's making this field very challenging. But there are pieces of evidence out there that I think, you know, keep people like me going. Uh, We just have to use a little bit of common sense and not be afraid to ask questions. 
and not be afraid to admit we don't have the answers yet. Because if anybody tells you they have the answer to the UFO phenomena, just turn around and walk away because <laughs> I don't think that they're telling the truth at all in the slightest. So I, I think we really have to uh, you know, take, um, uh, take that to heart and really kind of give this a serious look. Look at the information from 60, 70 years ago. Uh, look at the information from six or seven years ago and uh, look at, at some of the evidence that's coming out six or seven hours ago. And I think that uh, we can start to unravel the mystery a bit. Well, thank you, John. We've just flat out of time. And it's always fascinating to talk to you about these things because you've been doing so much research and you have so much documentation to back up your research. Once again, it's uh, John Greenwald. If you want to uh, take a look at it, his website is www.theblackvault.com. And if uh, you want more information about today's show, I'll try to get something up at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And one of the things I wanted to point out before we went away is I'm going to be doing kind of a special program on the Oak Island treasure hunt from one of the uh, people who's been investigating in depth, not the Lugana boys that show up on the History Channel, but uh, somebody who's lived in Nova Scotia and has been doing a lot of research and providing an alternative explanation for it. And I hope to have her uh, come on the program in the next few weeks. So uh, we'll be back in 167 hours with more information about UFOs and the paranormal on a different perspective. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.